according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me once again in uh, Luke 18. We have been bouncing back and forth between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I think for our final session in episode 36, we will uh, use Luke 18 to get started with. Luke 18:34. Thought last week we might be able to rush it through and get the last little bit on this. And then I'm glad we didn't because it uh, having an extra session gives us time to spend a little bit more time in some of the details and uh, really focus on the uh, try to gain an understanding on why it's hard to gain an understanding sometimes. And uh, that's exactly what we have to study here today. I even made a note on this on my Facebook wall yesterday and People thought I was joking. I, I, I was serious. That's exactly what I was thinking about yesterday. But Luke 18. Oh, also, before I forget, remember, there is no class next week. That uh, with the VBS week, uh, we are not having the 6 a.m. Poimenike or the 10 a.m. Uh, uh, Life of Christ class. Or the 9 o'clock prayer meeting. Right? It's all, all VBS next week. All right, Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. As I said, we've been here a couple of weeks already, and this is our final session in episode 36. So when we do get back in two weeks, we'll be at episode 37, The Ambition of James and John, where they uh, try to rope their mother into the uh, scheme of uh, you know, trying to score the assigned seating for uh, the Millennial Kingdom. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Seems pretty simple. Not complicated. Kind of straightforward, actually. What's the big deal? But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. All right, that's the verse we're looking at here today. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, giving each believer priest the opportunity to humble yourself under authority of teaching. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. And, and we recognize today, Father, that this is a grace gift. That uh, none of us earned or deserved it. That, Father, you've made it possible for us to assemble together and receive instruction. And, Father, we do pray for your time of blessing upon our study today. That you would set aside distraction. That you would hedge us about, protect us, Father. Uh, hinder anyone from coming in here that would want to bring us to harm or, or bring uh, our Bible study to a close. Father, help us to... Um, to concentrate and not be distracting around others, Father. We, we were just discussing this a moment ago, the, the reason why we want to be uh, respectful under the authority of your word and, and not uh, moving around or noisy or distracting others in their study, Father. And I, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the, the fellowship over such discussion and the, 
the recognition, Father, that uh, that believers are here today to grow in the grace and knowledge. Believers are here today to be equipped. Uh, believers, we got brothers and sisters under all kinds of testing right now, Father, and I don't want anything I do to distract from their uh, study, from their feeding, from their uh, strength. And uh, so, Father, I just thank you and for all your glory, for all your grace, and for giving us a time in your word today. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Well, we've covered so far in our outline four points of study, including all the details and all the outline as it pertains to uh, the, uh, we got the Passion Week right here. We just have it a month ahead of time. We got a preview, a prophecy related to it. And that's important. I recognize Jesus was, of course, an Old Testament prophet like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Um, and you understand that the Old Testament prophets very often would have short-term prophecies as well as long-term prophecies. And the short-term prophecies, when they occurred, whether they were a month out or six months out, a year out, whatever, the short-term prophecies, when they were fulfilled directly, immediately, literally, perfectly, gave the testimony and the credentials for the fact that the long-term prophecies are just as valid, just as accurate, just as faithful. And so... The idea of everything that Jesus is saying here related to his suffering and his crucifixion is going to be powerful because it's going to take the things that he relates related to Second Advent, the tribulational teaching, the, certain, the uh, upper room discourse and all the things, the Mount Olivet discourse, the things related to uh, the long-term uh, prophecies and messages that he has. Uh, we're going to recognize that they are just as valid, just as perfect, literal, direct. Uh, they might be 2,000 years delayed, but they are literally going to happen in the same way that the Passion Week literally happened. And we have to understand that as part of what uh, God did with his Old Testament prophets. Now, last week we actually delved quite a bit into the details related to the uh, suffering on the third day and the other things here. Let me just pull this up. The final Passover event is the resurrection. And what's the difference between on the third day, in three days, after three days. And then the fuller expression in Matthew 12:40, in the grave, three days and three nights. And this bothers a lot of folks. Um, it bothers folks because in our way of thinking, it may seem contradictory. That if it's after three days, then that means it's on the fourth day. Uh, and uh, we would not typically think of something after three days as occurring on the third day. Uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong, it was just me, but in my way of thinking, and, and I think in most American English modern usage, uh, if, you, if something happens on the third day, then we would say that's after two days. And on the third day, then, is after th- two days. See, we would not equate after three days with on the third day, and yet they did. They did repeatedly. That was the normal way of thinking in the in the Hebrew language and in the Jewish mindset. And so the scriptures right there, we went through them all, and we saw the parallel statements um, the one that gives maybe the most problem is the full testimony of in the grave three days and three nights. And even that is not really an issue as it, again, relates to Hebrew language and, and Jewish thinking as it pertains to any portion of a day or any portion of a night was equal to both a day and a night, that they thought of a day and a night as a unit, that there was evening and there was morning one day in all the six days of creation in Genesis 1. And throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, morning and evening, day and night was all considered one, was all considered one thing. And we'll see that here as well. Uh, I mentioned the Harold Honer article. And, um, uh, oh, he had some additional things too that I didn't go into last week. Hmm. 
Well, I didn't bring it up today. Now let's just skip it. Uh, he has some other things too as it related to the rabbinic support. And uh, the rabbinic support isn't necessary, I think. It's maybe overkill. Uh, but if the New Testament support, supports it, I'm fine with it. If the Old Testament supports with it, I'm doubly fine with it. And I've got all the, the uh, conviction I need to accept a biblical truth. Uh, when rabbinic support also goes along, well, great. That's icing on the cake. Wonderful. Additional testimony is, is superb, like when an unbeliever or secular historian documents a, an event. Great. You know, I'm glad you agree with the Bible. But my faith is not going to rise or fall depending on whether the unbelievers and their records uh, coincide or whether they don't coincide. And uh, so the rabbinic support is interesting, and I find it um, useful to understand but uh, I don't insist on having rabbinic support for my faith to accept anything as being valid and true. All right, well, let's move on today to point five then. Main point five, despite how plain and obvious his message was, <laughs> the disciples were unable to grasp the message. Despite how plain and obvious his message was. I like obvious. To me, obvious is great. Um, but... You and I have to be humble to recognize that it, what is obvious to us as church-age saints uh, was not necessarily obvious to them. Uh, beyond the dispensational issues, of course, uh, we have stated uh, testimony in this verse that an active agent was at work preventing them from understanding and comprehending. And so there was actually a divine hand in their prolonged ignorance. And we have to identify, was it Satan at work in that? Was it God at work in that? Who is the subject of the verb? And it's a legitimate question to evaluate. So if you want to put a little footnote under plain and obvious, you know, it might be plain and obvious to us. Okay? And you, I'm sure you've encountered this as well. If you've ever tried to talk spiritual things to somebody and, and what's obvious to you and the person you're talking to is acting like you're from Mars or something, they can't figure out what you're talking about. And you're just given the simplicity of the gospel message, and they think it's, it's nuts or it's complicated. or They don't have a clue. And uh, there it is again, what's plain and obvious to us, because we have living human spirits. We have a living human spirit and the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. And so we have the spiritual equipping to understand spiritual truth, and the natural man doesn't, the carnal man doesn't. Now, it's legitimate to ask, is the, uh, were the disciples ignorant because they weren't saved? Okay, that's a possibility, but I reject it because I think the disciples, except for Judas, were all saved. Okay, uh, were, they, were they ignorant because they were carnal? Possibility, we can explore it, we can evaluate it. Uh, very much so if they're re responding in, in fear rather than faith, if they have uh, personal hang-ups that reject the idea of the crucifixion, then yeah, they're going to be in carnality more often than not. Uh, every time he talks about suffering again, it could have been a trigger that just plunged him into carnality. Okay, and we, we'll, we'll evaluate that as well. Uh, they were unable to grasp the message. Let's talk about this a little bit. What is it that keeps people from being unable? And it's not the only time, by the way. The Bible describes a, uh, a fair amount of ignorance, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, how, how discouraging would the Christian way of life be to you if you're reading through your Bible and every Old Testament book and every New Testament book and every story you read in the Bible and these characters immediately just passed every test, learned every lesson, understood everything going on? I, I don't know about you, I'd be reading the Bible thinking, 
This is, this is crazy. I can never measure up to that. You know, how come they, they pass every test? How come they're always figuring out every answer to every problem and so forth? I like the way the Bible leaves things, uh, describes real people with real problems, with real confusion, with real uncertainty, and uh, just walking by faith, not knowing what the answer is, but knowing that God's in control and, and it's all right. So we start with Daniel. Daniel was sovereignly limited. Here's example number A of biblical ignorance. Daniel was sovereignly limited to the scope of understanding that he was permitted. Daniel 12, verses 8 and 9. Join me back in the book of Daniel. And we'll ask ourselves the question at the end of class today. Is it okay if you and I are ignorant? Uh, Do we have similar uh, sanctified, divine, enforced ignorance today? Are there things today that we would really love to know about, but God intentionally withholds such information? Daniel chapter 12. I don't know who booed that coffee, but it's better than the pot I made this morning. (laughs) Appreciate that. All right. Now, of course, Daniel 12 follows Daniel 11, not just in chapter sequence, but in subject matter and development. Uh, very important. You have a whole outline structure of uh, eschatology for Israel to focus on. King of the north, king of the south, that structures both in terms of the Maccabean era between the Old Testament and New Testament, but then also prophetically looks forward to the tribulation and the uh, affliction of Antichrist upon Israel that's uh, still yet future from our standpoint. And it's at that point of time then, at that time, Daniel 12:1, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. A very unique, pivotal moment in human history unlike anything. The Holocaust, the Nazi Holocaust will not even be remembered once the tribulation is unleashed on Israel. Because it won't be, you can't compare it. The tribulation will be so unique in human history that nothing prior to the tribulation will ever be mentioned again in any context remotely connected to the tribulation. And uh, at that time, your people, Daniel, the Jewish people, this prophecy is not related to the church, it's related to Israel. Everyone found written in the book will be rescued. Uh, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. But guess what, folks? There's a resurrection for the righteous, and they stand for their reward and have a resurrection body and enter into glory for all eternity. But there's also a resurrection of the unrighteous, the unbelievers that will stand before the great white throne, and they will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. So Daniel 12 presents both resurrection of uh, life and resurrection of disgrace. And uh, very similar to John 5, Revelation 20, you can correlate those passages on your own. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Uh, I I connect this to the ministry of the 144,000 in the tribulation. There are those who have insight and there are those who lead to righteousness. They're going to have the most powerful evangelism revival ministry in the history of the world. And it's not an accident that the greatest revival activity coincides with the greatest 
persecution activity that's ever been unleashed in, uh, in the human experience. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Um, unique information here. We've got notes in the Daniel notebook. There's a similar expression. The Apostle John has to seal up certain things that he's not allowed to write about. And uh, likewise, those are going to get unsealed. They're going to be opened. And, um, well, we see them opened actually when Jesus Christ starts to bust open some seals, don't we? Anyway, other information on that. What I'm headed for, though, is down to verses 8 and 9. I just want you to notice that Daniel is receiving an outline. And he's been receiving outlines. He's been receiving messages from chapter 2 related to a great statue. In chapter 7, related to four beasts. In chapter 9, related to a 70-week calendar. In chapter 8, related to a ram and a goat. All right. In chapter 11, related to the king of the north, king of the south, and a whole panorama of, of history. And then, in spite of everything he's been given, probably more information than any of the other prophets in the whole Old Testament, he still wants more. <laughs> okay? But he has reached the limit of what he's going to get or what any Old Testament prophet can get. So it says in verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and uh, behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river, on the other bank of the river. And then one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. So these are two angels, and they are speaking to Jesus Christ, the man dressed in linen. Um, and one said to that man dressed in linen, uh, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? See, even the angels have questions on to the timing, the schedule, the plan, the program. Angels don't have the Alpha and Omega program like the Father does. They only have what's revealed to them. And uh, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, swore by him who lives forever. It would be for a time, times, and half a time. And here we have the three and a half years, the time, times, and half a time. And, and this is a statement that you... You study, as you rightly divide the word of truth, you put it together with uh, other passages that talk about 42 months. Okay, and what's 42 months? But three and a half years, okay. Or other passages that speak of 1,260 days. And what do you have with 1,260 days? You've got 42 months or three and a half years. Keep in mind that you have three and a half years of 30-day months, 360-day years. That's absolutely vital. If you're going to understand Daniel and Revelation. Um, all right. Time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. What is the purpose for the tribulation? What is the purpose for revealing these things to Daniel? The entire purpose of tribulation, week 70, is totally focused on Israel. Your people, your holy city, your holy people. The church has nothing, zero, zip, zero, nada to do with week 70 because we had zip, zero, nada to do with weeks 1 through 69. All right? All of that, of course, is, you know all this. We've taught Daniel before. We've taught Revelation before. You know what the tribulation's about. It's not about the church. Okay? Although I seem to encounter from time to time... Uh, heresy out there or dealing with a mid-trib rapture or some kind of a pre-wrath rapture or some kind of nonsense, which is worse than nonsense because it destroys people's faith. I think it hurts people when somebody mentions, oh, we have to go through half the tribulation and then we get raptured. Or we have to go through half the tribulation and then the winners get raptured and the loser Christians have to do the rest of the tribulation. 
pathetic. All right. Do some rightly dividing the word of truth. Understand some Bible. Okay. Figure out whether you're part of Israel or part of the church. Because you, you're not both. There is not both. You're one or the other. In the church, there is no Jew nor Gentile. So figure it out. Now, you'd think that the prophet who received more information than any other prophet from Adam till his own day would be content. But he says in verse 8, As for me, I heard, but could not understand. Okay? Now, to be fair, Daniel was not able to correlate his message with Revelation. Because okay? he's centuries ahead of the Apostle John. He's centuries ahead of Revelation. He couldn't compare all of his messages with Ezekiel. Possibly he could. They were contemporaries. So he could have related to Ezekiel. But what about Zechariah? What about some of the later prophets? What about the Mount Olivet Discourse? What about everything Jesus had to talk about? What about, of course, Daniel had no clue for any of that. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. In other words, it's not your message. They are, con they are concealed and sealed. Concealed and sealed until the end time. It's not yours. Those who have insight, 144,000 will have prophetically revealed to them what they need. But Daniel, you don't need to know this. This is not for you. Um, it says many will be purged and purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Oh yeah, and they're going to be equipped and they're going to be prepared and they're going to be empowered and they're going to be warned and they're not going to take the mark of the beast and different things. But as for you, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. You know, Daniel has lived through all 70 years. He's an old man. You know, I, I don't think he could have been over 12 or 14 when he was taken away to captivity because he was called a youth and he was trained for governmental service. I think he was 10 or 12. 14 of the highest he could have been. And now 70 years later, he's in his 80s, still asking questions, still trying to learn, still trying to, uh, he's written 12 chapters here of a book thinking, well, hey, is there chapter 13 coming up? Teach me something else. I appreciate that. Well, Daniel was sovereignly limited to the scope and understanding of what he was permitted. We've got to understand that. You know, we, we're, maybe we're, we're privileged because we're church, and we have more than anyone's ever had before. We fail to recognize that prior to the church, there were some very real limitations on what was known, what could be known, what was understood, or what could be understood. And then I think we have to have some humility to recognize, you know what? Even though we have the maximum that's ever been given with a complete canon of Scripture, all 66 books, a Hebrew revelation, a Greek revelation, although we have more than anyone's ever had before, is there still remaining things that we don't know and can't know? Are we still ourselves under limitations of things that will come to later stewardships? Point B, not just Daniel, all the prophets were limited. I tried sharing this passage with you last week and it was a side trip at that time. I should have just held off until this week <laughs> where it's not a side trip, where it's a, a deliberate point. All of the prophets were limited in understanding and service to the church. And they were limited as a service. They are serving you, Peter tells his church age audience. In other words, they're enforced 
ignorance was in service to a subsequent people who would receive a more fuller revelation. A more fuller revelation. I don't want to learn the things that that I'm not entitled to if, in fact, it's going to diminish what God has reserved for a later stewardship. Either the tribulation of Israel, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, or the dispensation of the fullness of time in the new heaven and new earth. As if I could somehow discover it anyway. <laughs> okay, But when his sovereignty withholds certain information until a later stewardship, that's his wisdom. That's his absolute wisdom. And for me to try to peer into things or try to deduce things or to try to use reasoning or logic or some kind of thing to try to claim more knowledge than I'm otherwise entitled to is blasphemy. It's, it's arrogance. How can I possibly try to learn something that his sovereignty says I'm not entitled to? Who am I? So, again, I gave this to you last week. It was a side trip then. It's a deliberate point this time. The prophets, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. So don't think for a minute they were sloppy. They made careful searches and inquiries. Don't think that they were lazy. They had access to heaven. They could inquire of the Lord. And uh, that's a, such a powerful feature that we forget about sometimes, that an Old Testament prophet could inquire of the Lord. And, as a rule, receive the, the verbal answers, the direct answers. They made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. In other words, as they were the tools to deliver First Advent and Second Advent prophetic information. But it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you so when, when Daniel received his go-your-way Daniel, for this is sealed up until the end of time, what was really happening there? Go-your-way Daniel. It wasn't just a go-away-kid-you-bother-me message. It was a revelation that a subsequent generation, a subsequent stewardship, a subsequent people, a later unfolding of the plan of God is going to have access to what it is you want to know about right now. Okay, It's not for you. Not for you to know about, not for you to apply. It's not your realm. They were not serving themselves, but you. It is a thing of service. Limited understanding is a thing of service. And Israel's limited understanding was of service to the church. Because we were the stewardship that follows Israel. Their limited understanding was a service to the church. And in fact, by virtue of their limited understanding, by virtue of their darkened understanding, by virtue of their um, divine discipline of being set aside for the time being, the grace of God can now bring forth a heavenly people of neither Jew nor Gentile because of their hardness of heart. See, So God uses this circumstance as well to accomplish his grace eternal plan. But it is a thing of service. Stop to consider, are we of service to a later generation are we of service to a later stewardship is uh are, are we going to have any fruit to be born in the ages to come see and thankfully the answer is yes 
that not only is the Father pouring forth his grace to us today, but he pours forth his grace abundantly today and in the ages to come. That we are a manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God so that in the ages to come he might make known. Understand that. that the purpose of the church is far beyond the church age. That we're going to have fruit to, to be born in the millennial kingdom. We're going to have fruit to be born in the new heavens and new earth in the fullness of time. All right. All the prophets were limited. Um, not only were the prophets limited, the angels were limited. Uh, they were serving you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Not even angels have the total picture of what is given to the church and what is yet to be given, things still yet future. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. It's a wonderful idiom. You know, it's like tie your shoes, button up your pants, get dressed, get ready, and get your mind ready. Too many believers have their minds have their shoelaces untied. <laughs> All right? Their mental belt is unbuckled. They've got to they gotta gird their loins. Their mental readiness looking forward. Gird, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you and I aren't focused on the imminent return of our Savior, then our minds aren't girded for action. And it, it, it not only does it break my heart, I'm not only sad, I'm... I'm I'm angry with a lot of denominations and churches and theologies and approaches that steal, that rob believers of their blessed hope. That have kind of a, they've got a, a pathetic eschatology because they don't have an eschatology. They've got a, uh, a horrible failure to appreciate why the God who reveals things ahead of time makes it a priority to reveal things ahead of time and why it is that we're expected to be prophetically minded. And they think, well, it'll all work out in the end, right? Ridiculous. What's that? There's a joke that I am... Now I'll think of it probably on the drive home. I'll think. I'm not going to think of it right now. But it's the the question about you know, whether you're a pre-trib or a post-trib or what your, what your eschatology is. And basically, there's a school of, of lazy people out there. They don't even waste their time thinking about it because they figure, well, whatever happens is going to happen anyway, so we'll just wait to see what happens. You know, which is pathetic. Wait to see what happens? How about you study to show yourself approved? Because God has made clear. And uh, all too often, we forget that some, what is it, 80% of the Bible was prophetic at the time it was first given. Now, just because most of it, a lot of it, is fulfilled in, in a past completed fulfillment of First Advent, don't lose track of the fact that when it was first given, it was prophetic at the time. Our God is a God that tells the end from the beginning and reveals the things that have not yet been done. That's part of His glory and part of why the fallen angels are such posers. Because they don't know the end from the beginning. They themselves are temporal creatures that had a created beginning and are proceeding linear through time in a forward motion. They're, they're living day by day like you're living day by day. And they can't go back to yesterday any more than you can go back to yesterday. So let's understand that. We are to fix our eyes, fix your hope, 
completely on the grace to be brought to you. Not the grace that put you in the salvation status, but the greater grace that's on the way, the grace that's coming up when Christ, who is our hope, is revealed, and you also will be revealed with him in glory. Are you looking forward to that? Are you living for that? Are you living your life as if today you could be standing at the Bema and giving an account? If not, you need to be. Husbands, fathers, God's not going to ask you how much money you made or what size house you lived in. You're going to be accountable. Were you a spiritual leader? Did you make doctrine a priority for your wife, for your children? All right. Thirdly, there were episodes in Jesus' ministry where parables hindered comprehension for non-disciples. I'm showing you biblical examples of non-comprehension as we explore the possibilities for this episode today. I don't think it was a Daniel issue with the disciples today. I don't think it was an uh, Old Testament prophet issue for the disciples today. And I don't think it was a parable issue. for the, He wasn't teaching them in parables. He's telling them, I'm going to be crucified. But still, it's something we ought to evaluate as a concept for non-comprehension. Point C. Parables hindered comprehension for non-disciples. Matthew 13, 13. John 10, 6. There's other passages as well, but here's just two that spell it out. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You might hear the earthly words, but if you don't have spiritual ears, how do you hear? John 10, 6. This figure of speech, this is with the uh, parable of the door. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were to which he had been saying to them. So Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Parables hindered comprehension for non-disciples. Even plain teaching, plain spiritual teaching cannot be comprehended by unbelievers. Even plain spiritual teaching. And you say, well, how is that? I mean, if, if, they, if they're sitting in the same room and they speak English and you speak English and they're sitting next to, why is it if, if they come and they, they visit your church on a Sunday and they hear a message, why is it they can't understand what? Because it's spiritually perceived. They can understand the earthly words and the human language is communicating, but their soul is not going to digest the spiritual truth. All right. I think it's kind of interesting. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You know, the imperative to hear. He that has ears, let him hear. They cannot hear because they don't have the ears. They are their father, the devil, which is the very next verse. You have your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. They can't hear him. Even plain spiritual teaching cannot be comprehended by unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 2.14. I was here this morning with LaRosa. We looked at it in the Greek and discussed the difference between the psukikos and the pneumatikos and the issues distinguishing unbelievers from believers. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. 
The natural man, all he has is a soul, is a soulish man. He does not have the living human spirit that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is a spiritual thing, communicated by God the Holy Spirit to our human spirits. And if you don't have a living human spirit, you cannot receive. It'd be like, how do you receive an FM radio transmission? All you've got is an AM radio receiver. Well, then you're not going to listen to any of the FM transmissions, are you? You're just stuck with AM. Okay? Well, the Word of God's going forth, spiritually communicated, has to be spiritually received. It cannot be soulishly received. And that's what's being described there. All right. So we've seen Daniel's ignorance. We've seen all the prophets who are limited in their understanding. Here we see parables that hindered comprehension. We see unbelievers cannot comprehend. I don't believe any of those are in play with Peter and James, the disciples we're talking about today, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross. And they're like, what? Okay. Why are they being hindered? Have we, have we come close to hitting the mark yet? Well, here's another story. Point D. Jesus' earthly parents did not share his comprehension of the Father's business in Luke chapter 2, verse 50. Jesus' earthly parents. And here I think we're getting closer. Jesus' earthly parents did not share his comprehension of the Father's business. And here I think we're getting closer to the in our investigation of why is it that people just don't comprehend spiritual messages. This is when he's 12 years old and they've gone to Jerusalem for uh, Passover and then uh, they're returning back to Nazareth and I think he's somewhere in the caravan, you know. Have you seen Jesus? Oh, he's around somewhere. Okay, I mean, you, they probably... 12 years old, he never once disobeyed, he never once sinned, he never once gave them any problems at all. I think as parents, you would tend to not worry about them so much, <laughs> right? They're probably more concerned about James and Jude and Simeon and these other guys that were always getting in trouble. And so they just assumed that their perfect son would, he's around somewhere, okay? <laughs> and then they figure out he's not here and they have to go back. It's not till the third day they, they get back and they find him there in Jerusalem. And... Uh, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished and they were really struck out of their minds. They were senseless. It's the same, by the way, it's fun vocabulary here because it's the same astonishment as we had in our episode where he was headed up to Jerusalem to die and the disciples were astonished. He's going to go there and he's going to die. What's he doing? Um... They were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it you were looking for me? Did you not know? Here's their failure to comprehend. Did you not understand? Did you not fully know? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. I think he got a double testimony to ignorance here because he asked them, did you not know? And then we have the testimony of the inspired scripture that they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. They didn't even understand his statement about, don't you understand? Okay. Now, why is that? Why does the father direct for a non-understanding to take place? 
why would one believer, Jesus, have a conviction related to something and two other believers, Joseph and Mary, not have a conviction related to something? Is God the author of confusion? Or does God deliberately withhold certain convictions from certain people so that other effects result? And what's the result here? What's the result here? Jesus actually continues in his subjection to his parents. Um, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And mother treasured all these things in her heart. Normally when this gets preached, this gets preached that Jesus was right, they were wrong, they were just clueless and idiots. And, and, uh, you know, so he finally, you know, he felt sorry for him or he just kind of, he humored him. He said, well, okay, I'll let you keep raising me then. All right, and goes back to goes back to Nazareth, where his idiot parents can help him grow up some more. Okay, I mean, is that not how you've heard it preached? I mean, I know you have. I know I've heard it preached. But let me ask you something: What if he is factually inaccurate as to the will of God at this time? What if they're the ones that have the better perspective? I mean, as a rule, I mean, if you, if given the fact, of course, that he's sinless and perfect, that might affect how we approach things. But consider for the moment that he's not using omniscience. Consider the moment that he's learning lessons, that he's growing. And what young man is there, what 12-year-old is there that's got a perfect handle on patience? Okay. What young man is there who does not need to have lessons on patience enforced? Who's always thinking, well, hey, I'm ready for this, I'm ready for this, I'm ready for this. No, you're not quite ready for that. You're getting ready for that. You're approaching that. But the day has not yet come. See. And I I think Jesus is actually surprised that the grammar on this, the syntax on this is, is interesting. When he says, do you not know? Did you not know? I had to be in my father's house. It's an incredulous question. Did you not know? You had to have known. He's actually confessing his own ignorance. He can't understand that they did not know. He's learning something. He says, wait a minute, you didn't have that same conviction. Wait a minute. And I believe that he views that as the will of God indicator. Remember, one of the tools for seeking the will of God is you're seeking the counsel of your elders. You're seeking the like-mindedness of brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, wait a minute, my... Joseph and Mary, they don't have the same conviction I have. Maybe I need to reevaluate this. Okay. Anyway, I think this is what happens here. And he says, you know what? They don't have the same conviction. I better, I better back off. I better wait. I better continue to seek. See if, in fact, I'm incorrect about this. Maybe it's not an open door. Maybe this is not my time. Turns out he's 18 years too early. He's not going to be baptized in the River Jordan until he's 30. Not time for him to start ministry yet. He's got other things to do, other lessons to learn. So uh, you could even view this episode as not necessarily his uh, parents' ignorance. You could also view this as his uh, misreading of the timing for when it is his public ministry is supposed to be unveiled. It's not going to be at the age of 12. It's not going to be to the age of 30. So... uh, I think there's more there too. But here we're coming closer to the mark because here we're seeing 
believers that have different understandings and different convictions. And how do you handle it when you have a conviction that's unshakable related to spiritual things? You are absolutely convinced of a, of a calling, of a gift, of a ministry, of an assignment, of something. And you are so overwhelmed. I must be about my father's business. And everybody you know disagrees. <laughs> or they fail to see it. Oh, come on. What are you talking about? He's not calling you to that. He's not calling you to that. How do you handle it? All right, how do you handle it? Now, there's a difference between age 12 and age, and, and our episode today. I think he's pushing 40 when he goes to the cross. But, you know, if he was born in 6 B.C. and he dies in 33 A.D., all right, and there is no year zero, he's in his upper 30s, not yet 40. And, um, but again, he has to face this test. He has to face the same test he faced at the age of 12. At the age of 12, he submitted and went along with continued in subjection to his parents. But at the age of going to the cross, he's not going to submit to his disciples' lack of understanding. He's going to proceed forward and go to the cross anyway, even though his disciples don't understand why he's doing it. And this becomes a test on its own. Because he has to face the test of abandonment. Because they don't understand, they're going to flee. All right, we get to that now under point E. This is our last point, but it has four subpoints. All right, point E: the disciples were repeatedly hindered from comprehension. Repeatedly hindered from comprehension. Now I think we're going to we're going to zero in. Of course, we're going to zero in on the disciples. But is is it really is it a Daniel issue? Is it a prophet issue? Is it no? Well, were they hostile? Was it like the Pharisees? No. Were they unbelievers? No. Were they, um, were they like his parents? In wanting to be helpful, but not entirely understanding how. <laughs> or what it was that they were supposed to do. Or was it by design and the Father's perfection, deliberately keeping them from understanding so that in their failure to understand, they fled, and Jesus had to face the test of abandonment. Remember, he's tested in all things, even as we are. He had to be tested in the realms of abandonment at his greatest hour, at his most, uh, deepest, darkest moment. He had to face the deepest, darkest moment all alone. You know, so just ask yourself, here's John, here's the apostle whom Jesus loved. And if God would have permitted John to understand the crucifixion, the resurrection, all the doctrine that Jesus was trying to get across, if God had permitted John to understand that, would John have fled out of the Garden of Gethsemane? Would John have abandoned Jesus? No. He wouldn't have abandoned Jesus. Which meant that Jesus would not have faced the abandonment test. Probably would have resulted in, had the disciples not fled, they probably would have been killed. So in, in a lot of ways, God used the ignorance here to save their lives. So they could flee, and Jesus gets arrested, goes and stands trial, and then they can follow at a distance. Peter can stand in the outer courtyard and tell lies about Jesus. And John can sneak in and eavesdrop a little bit on what the high priest is talking about. And then on the cross itself, John can be standing nearby with, with Mary and uh, episodes there. 
Luke chapter 9. Despite the imperative to hear, it was the will of God for them to not hear. 9. Luke 9, verse 44 and 45. Look at these back-to-back verses. Despite the imperative to hear, it was the will of God for them to not hear. While everyone's marveling at all he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. <laughs> I think Jesus got frustrated sometimes. You know? He gets done, he's teaching a class, and he thought he just, you know, he hit it all. Gave him all the subpoints. He even had a PowerPoint that worked. Everything was going great. And then the class is over, and they're like, what? What did he say? Jesus said, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. I'm getting betrayed. But they did not understand this statement. Now, here's the key, okay? It's not because he, he, Jesus didn't pick the 12 most blithering idiots on planet Earth, okay? It was deliberately, divinely withheld. And that's spelled out here. It was concealed from them. So that, purpose clause. You have the activity of concealment. The purpose clause shows the intention behind the activity so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Man, I really wish he'd quit giving these kind of messages. You know, do another Transfiguration Mountain, would you? <laughs> Give us another kingdom message, would you? Would you? Would, I don't know. Was he talking about that betrayal stuff? I don't want to hear that. The imperative to hear was the will of God for them not to hear. Secondly, sometimes. Sometimes the lesson is delayed by design. The lesson is delayed by design. I think that's part of what's at work here. There, I mean, let's face it. There are things you're not ready for yet. There are things they're not ready for yet. There are things that anybody's not ready for yet. There are things that require other things to understand first, and then you can understand these other things. It's no different than... Subject matters in, in growing up, certain things in life, academic pursuits or other studies. There's prerequisites to understanding other things. You know, you don't, you don't take a kindergartner and throw them into differential calculus. Okay? You've got you to gotta work up to that. <laughs> First, you've got to learn to count. and You've got to learn your numbers. and You've got to learn to add and subtract and, and multiply and divide and fractions and geometry and algebra. And then you start to get maybe a little bit of trigonometry and then you start to get some other things and eventually you work away in, a, in a differential calculus there you go other things you're not ready for until you reach a certain material maturity level right i mean facts of life uh, biology issues of growing up and men and women and how that kind of stuff works you don't take a two-year-old and start giving them all the the facts of life information you wait until the maturity is ready to handle it. And so here are the examples of this. Luke 24, 44 and 45, John 2, 22, John 12, 16, John 16, verse 4, verse 17, verse 18. Several times this was the circumstance. And for the disciples, the readiness wasn't until after the resurrection. Then it starts to fall into place. All right, Luke 24 
verses 44 and 45. He said to them, These are my words where I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me, this is after the ascension, I mean after the resurrection, okay? He talks to these guys on the Emmaus Road, and then he meets his disciples and pops in on them a couple times in the upper room. Um, he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things uh, which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's a powerful canonicity verse, by the way. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. <gasps> there it is. Okay. It was not the will of the Father for them to have the total comprehension until this particular event. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Today, what are you going to get out of the class today? Whatever the Father opens your mind to take hold of today. And if it's not, if, he, if his plan hasn't designed for you to learn it, then you're not going to learn it today. I don't care how smart you are. All right? And if it is his plan for you to learn it today, then he's going to open your minds and the sovereign Holy Spirit is going to teach you and you're going to learn everything he has for you to learn today. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous and fail and what a failure your pastor is. The crummiest teacher on earth can give the most complicated, stupid, convoluted, confusing, roundabout kind of illustrations, corny jokes and all kinds of other stuff. None of that's going to limit the power of God's word when his Holy Spirit takes it, opens your mind and plants within you what you need for today's assignment. It's your daily bread. It's the manna you need today for the struggles, the fears, the concerns, the conflicts, the testing you're going through today. And thank God for that. Thirdly, other times the failure to learn is crafted as a test for others. And that's precisely, I'm convinced, that's precisely what's happening here. Their failure to learn is just building and building and building and building. I mean, it's a test every time. And it's a test the next time. And it's a test the next time. Moses passed his test two times, three times, and finally he just pulls his own hair out and says, forget it, I'm done with you guys. Okay? Right? And he starts smacking a rock with his stick and he's calling them a bunch of rebels. So he reached the limit of where Moses could no longer pass that test anymore and he failed. Well, Jesus passes and passes and passes, and he keeps on passing. And every time he's trying to teach them about the cross, and they're not getting it, it you, can you imagine it gets more and more frustrating? John fourteen nine. John fourteen nine, And here, I am the way, the Aletheia, and the Zoe. No one comes to the Father but through me. I get my girls back on Saturday. I'm kind of missing them. Um... And then it's kind of interesting here. Philip's got these questions for him. He says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Have you not been listening? You don't get it yet? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say that? How can you ask that? Okay. And this becomes his test. Is, he, is Jesus going to be absolutely frustrated with these morons that aren't figuring out what he's talking about? Or is he going to be humble and faithful and patient and kind? 
How can you say? Why are you still so clueless? Mark 14, 50. Uh, I think this is part of it. Uh, This is the abandonment verse. They were like cockroaches when the lights come on. They all left him and fled. Boom. Okay. This is in the garden. Judas shows up. He kisses them. They draw their swords. And they all left him and fled. And then the young man following with nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. This is the little uh, testimony of Mark himself, the only time Mark appears in his own gospel. <laughs> Get to have, have to say, Mark, what, what were you doing in the garden naked? You know, never mind. I know what you were doing naked, but never mind. Um, 1 Corinthians 8, 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Ah, 1 Corinthians, epistles, church age. This is our application, isn't it? You know, what does it say? 1 Corinthians 8, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. The answer to your test may not be a doctrinal answer of just simply knowing the will of God. But it may be a love application because it may be that you know the answer, but in love, your brother doesn't know the answer, so what are you going to do? If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by him. The real issue is, are we walking in love? Now, sacrifice to idols, we know there's no such thing as an idol, so who cares? You know, go get the meat out of the temple of Artemis. Big deal. You can go into the temple of Aphrodite and take the meat off the, the, the half for sale there in the temple. Fine. Go, to, go into the temple, take the meat, take it home. You know, don't go deeper into the temple. Don't participate in the fornication of the temple. But go to the gate, go to the door, and get the meat and go home. But, you know, you're going to have a brother and he's going to be, or a sister, and be very offended. You know? P- quite possibly in this town, uh, you got a sister in the local church there, and you know before she got saved, that's where she worked. Okay. You think uh, you think she's going to be a little bit offended, a little bit hurt, a little bit confused if uh, she finds out that you're going over to that place? You think uh, maybe uh, even though you know it's who cares, no big deal. They're they're just demons posing as gods anyway. Big deal. Go get the free meat, or the cheap meat. Not free, but cheap. Okay. See, here's the thing. Not all have this knowledge. And some, being accustomed to the idol until now, they eat it as if it was sacrificed to the idol. Their conscience being weak is defiled. So if you've got a brother in Christ with a little different conviction because his doctrinal understanding is not the same as yours, are you going to live in terms of love and bless that brother or bless that sister? Or are you going to be the prideful, arrogant, hateful? approach that just says come on get some doctrine grow up are you going to exercise the law of love and not exercise liberty for the sake of not causing your brother to stumble see other times the failure to learn is crafted as a test for others it may be that the reason why they have this hang up is because the father has decreed that they're going to maintain that hang up just long enough to teach you what you need to learn about grace if you quit being such an arrogant fool, maybe you learn some things about grace, then maybe you can pass this test and they'll get over their hang-up quicker. 
But as long as you keep blowing it time and time and time again, then this poor sister is going to keep having this hang-up for the longest time. But guess what, folks? And I'm out of time. It's 11 o'clock. Some things are never revealed to human understanding. Some things are never revealed to human understanding. Deuteronomy 29, 29, Acts 1, 7. Sometimes you just have to rest by faith and say, Father, this is your realm to deal with. The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Acts 1, 7. They said, is this at the time you're going to unveil the kingdom? And he says, not for you to know. It's for the Father. The Father has set this by his own authority. The angels don't know and the Son of Man and His humanity doesn't even know. Some things are never revealed to human understanding. And if He doesn't reveal it, then we just walk by faith and leave it with Him. All right, so let's cut these disciples some slack here. They, uh, they didn't understand what He was telling them. And uh, in that confusion... When he needs as much prayer support and encouragement that he can get, he's going to have to get it from his father because these guys aren't going to give any to him. They don't have a clue. He's going to have to get it from his father because James and John and Peter and all these guys, they're not going to come alongside and say, hey, I know what you're heading for. I know what you're looking forward to. I know what you're hurt by. I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying with you. What can I do? None of that. He is going to the cross with a crowd, but he's all alone. Okay, you're going to understand that in these episodes moving forward. Thank you, Father, for your truth, for your faithfulness to guide us into the... We're not clear on today. Thank you that uh, someday, someday it'll make sense. And you'll put it together here a little, there a little. Pieces will fall into place. And when we need it, when you call upon us to make use of it, Father, your spirit will bring it to our remembrance. And I know that you're powerful to do that. I know you're faithful to do that. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for brothers and sisters that study to show themselves approved. Bless us as we depart. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.